the Cafe Media Network. You are listening to the Digcast with Cafe's Carl Diggler, brought to you by a 30-year veteran pundit. News. Family court. The discourse. Fatherhood. Digcast. Good morning, digheads. If you're hungover, I hope that were your shot of vitamin B, orange juice, coffee, and aspirin. If you're a Trump supporter, I hope you'd realize that you've gotten your deserved comeuppance. And if you're a Hillary supporter, let's not get too ahead of ourselves. I, of course, am Carl Diggler, Cafe's chief political analyst. I'm here with my millennial assistant as always, Virgil Texas. Hi. Hi, Carl. Audience. You don't, you don't look very good today, Carl. Ah, you know, just had a rough night with the boys. With the boys, you mean the your your gang of some gang. middle-aged men. I'm uh, middle-aged actually it's not a, it's not strictly a numerical concept. It's actually moved around quite a bit due to lifespan expectancy going up and it's also a state of mind and we're I think we're boyish and uh how how long how late were you up last night? I was up till uh 7. Why? Well, uh, every debate night, me and the fact friends would get a little crazy, mix the mix the Michelob with, uh, with a bit of Sanka, a bit of regular coffee, and it's sort of like a speedball. And you just you stay up, and you just you're whirling takes at each other. And Mikey Barb's has a take, and then the smirk has a take, and then uh, Ron is like, no, no, you don't see it. Uh, they both did it. And you're just you're swirling in the madness, and it's almost like an orgy of opinions, but it's eyes wide open. Were you at a, a debate party or? Oh yeah. Uh, well, uh, that hopefully you know you'll be ready to uh, talk about it. Uh, the debate for a... still drunk, so yes, I am. Okay, well then let's go to a very special winners and losers of the debates. All right, uh, we've got five clips queued up from the debate of some of the uh, most explosive moments, and Carl's here is going to give us our ana- his analysis. Uh, leading off, uh, Trump has a very special friend he'd like you to call. I then spoke to Sean Hannity, which everybody refuses to call Sean Hannity. I had numerous conversations with Sean Hannity at Fox, and Sean Hannity said, and he called me the other day, and I spoke to him about it. He said you were totally against war because he was for the war. Why is and your we, judgment me, better than And that was before the war started. Sean Hannity said very strongly to me and other people, he's willing to say, but nobody wants to call him. I was against the war. He said, you used to have fights with me because Sean was in favor of the war. And I understand that side also, not very much because we should have never been there. But nobody called Sean Hannity. And then they did an article in a major magazine shortly after the war started, I think in 04, but they did an article which had me totally against the war in Iraq. And one of your compatriots said, you know, whether it was before or right after, Trump was definitely, because if you read this article, there's no doubt. But if somebody, and I'll ask the press, if somebody would call up Sean Hannity. Well, a lot going on in that clip, but, uh... I think one of one of two Trump's uh, more emotionally vulnerable and uh, best points of the debate. Um, how do you read that as emotionally vulnerable? I usually never talk about my personal life on this show. But as a father of a teenage boy, I know what it's like when people think you're you're 
not cool enough for them to talk to. And Trump's repeated cries for the moderators, for Hillary Clinton, for everybody to call Sean Hannity. You know, Sean may have this macho alpha male exterior. He may have uh, heaved abuse on a fellow alpha male and Alan Combs over the years. He may even use white nationalist talking points sometimes. But he's, he's also a human being, and no one deserves to feel lonely. Your point is that Trump was asking people to call Sean Hannity because Sean is lonely. Why else would he be doing it? I mean, I'm sure he has friends. I, I don't know what his personal life is like. A man can have a thousand friends and feel completely alone. I, I, what about the, the Iraq war? Did that matter to you? Have you ever seen Love Actually? No. Of course not. I mean, why would a guy who can't impregnate his wife watch a movie about love? But okay. it shows that sometimes the issue at hand isn't the issue at hand. And it's uh, it's just, it's telling a story of a pain beneath the surface. It's a metaphor. Why don't you call My it? My first breakup happened amidst the drama and the tension in the air around the American Grenadian War and... I thought I was upset about the war and the doctors that were kidnapped in that university, but you were uh, you were about sixteen at that time, I think. Yeah. Who would you have been dating when you were? 16? It was a long distance thing. It was a long distance. Yeah. I remember you, you know, writing about your teenage years, and it was all like you'd stay up late, um, knowing your dad was gone or gone to sleep, putting the McLaughlin Group VHS in. That that's weird. Uh, a lot of kids are raised by TV, essentially. But was, was the girlfriend Eleanor Clift? What? No. It's a long distance thing. It was, you know, even even the love between us could not sustain the distance. And what was her name? Joanna Canada. Okay, Uh, let's move on. Let's move on, please. God. Uh, Number two memorable moment from the debate. Uh, Donald Trump. This I believe this was the last question in the debate. Donald Trump was asked by moderator Lester Holt uh, what he meant when he said. Quote, I just don't think she has the presidential look about Hillary Clinton. And here's what he replied with. Uh, She doesn't have the look. She doesn't have the stamina. I said she doesn't have the stamina. And I don't believe she does have the stamina. To be president of this country, you need tremendous stamina. Well, yeah, sort of Trump, uh, after revealing himself emotionally, sort of goes back into uh, what has turned so many people off against, against his his personality and his campaign and his boisterous nature using pickup artist techniques against Hillary Clinton. Pickup artist techniques. That's right. He was nagging Hillary Clinton. That's when pickup artists, they uh, like give like a veiled compliment. The insult. Like, a, like an insult compliment. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's a horrible thing to do where you d- diminish your the, the woman's self-esteem. And if you respect women, you'll make them pity you to love you be vulnerable rather than use uh, parlor tricks but you know i digress this is trump trump is kind of like yeah you, you ever watch the show nip tuck no oh it's a fantastic show i failed to think that's the case but okay fantastic show and the hero one of the heroes of the show playboy dr christian troy he would be uh he would be emotionally vulnerable in one scene like he would say something like uh sometimes i wish i could do surgery on myself but my heart but then after he revealed himself, he would go back to his womanizing ways. And that's kind of what Donald Trump did here. 
Uh, so I, I'm sorry, I really don't follow this. You think Trump, by denigrating Clinton's looks and later health, was hitting on her? Or In a way. I mean, I don't know if it's part of a larger strategy he has to gaslight her or to actually consummate some type of extramarital affair that could distract from her campaign, uh, to dump her, which may hurt her campaign, but also make her stronger than ever because you can... Sometimes the right breakup can make you stronger, but yeah, it's, it's, uh, on another note, I mean, uh, this stamina thing kind of ties into how, you know, his campaign and like his supporters online have been taunting her about her health issues, which obviously, uh, culminated in her collapse on September 11th. Mm-hmm. I mean, what do you make of her stamina then, if we're going to take this seriously? Um, well, I mean, I have a few elements myself. I know. I know. Yeah, no, know. nothing serious, but uh, I know what it's like to be discriminated against because of Bavarian walking syndrome, Habsburg inner ear leakage, urine osmosis, Ugh. and uh, Ugh. I, uh, in, if anything, it makes you stronger. And I recognize, you know, Hillary also has Romanov eye syndrome. Mm. And, you what? know, if anything, it gives her more stamina than anyone else. It's... I, I, I mean, I never, people never question me. They never go, oh, oh Carl, how can you, um, analyze, comprehensively analyze both sides if you have night screaming disorder? Well, it's made me stronger in my life. So, uh, I think she, uh, she is prepared. Okay. Uh, health issue off the table. Moving on in a discussion about, uh, stop and frisk. Uh, Donald Trump, uh, seemed to be obsessed with one particular city. Let's go to that. In Chicago. They've had thousands of shootings, thousands, since January 1st. Thousands of shootings. And I'm saying, where is this? Is this a war-torn country? What are we doing? And we have to stop the violence. We have to bring back law and order. In a place like Chicago, where thousands of people have been killed, thousands over the last number of years. There was that... Interesting bit of pivoting by Trump, some sort of general election pivoting towards undecided voters and a quality that most voters share, their sheer disgust with the city of Chicago. Most people are disgusted by Chicago. Oh, yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. And you, you can't blame them. It's uh, gone are the days of the Blues Brothers and the Superfans. Uh, these, the, these sort of swine-like people who... Think that they're city slicksters because they their their corn fed brains somehow enabled them to cobble some skyscrapers together and their pride at being on a lake, which they actually think is the ocean. Mm. That's how slow these people are. Even with a radical reformer like Rahm Emanuel, their city is disgusting as ever. Well, you- still in disrepair. They have the worst accent in the country. They're large, incredibly large people. They, uh, they, they eat this disgusting cheesecake like pizza. They, they, uh, it's like if you take the other worst parts of the Midwest, like the propensity to fight each other in parking lots over, uh, over copper wiring, oxycotton addiction, uh, but then you combine it with the violent gang activity of any horrible city, and it just creates this cacophony of hell. Most people hate Chicago. Have you been to Chicago? I uh, I had a connecting flight in O'Hare once. Were you uh, outside the airport at any point? No, but I saw what I needed to see. Were you scared in the airport? Yes. I was terrified. 
What did you do to defend yourself? Uh, well, I uh, sort of created a natural barrier for me and my predators by urinating in a circle around uh, gate B-17. Oh. But, um, no, I mean, you know, look, uh, Trump's also right about what has happened to Chicago, but he's wrong about what he he attributes Chicago's failings to Barack Obama. And you sort of see that he's not a serious candidate sometimes. Like, he doesn't want to be the serious candidate because everyone knows that Chicago's problems uh, started with the deficit. Every time that the deficit goes up, the murder rate in Chicago goes up because— What? Uh, yeah, no, you, you imagine you're a kid from Inglewood. Imagine you're Chief Keefe or— uh, or or uh, little Bibby, okay, or Alfredo ma- Santana. I'm you're imagining I'm up. Chief Keef. Yeah, you're growing up. Uh, uh, I imagine if Chief Keef couldn't knock up his wife, that's you. But uh, you're growing up. There's just poverty and insanity all around you, and you think about getting out. You think about what your life could be like outside of these four square blocks, and then you see the budget deficit, and you go, "I have no future. This country has no future. Why am I even gonna try?" So you start, you join a gang. Like you, the fact friends. It's a different type of gang. Yeah, okay. But I'm still Chief Keefe. Like, yeah, you're Chief Keefe. So, yes, so yes. you're saying Chief Keefe is motivated by the deficit. Yes. Okay. It creates a sort of a theory I'm working on, deficit nihilism. I, okay. It's like if, I uh, mean, I often, I often wake up and I can't even will myself to come in here. I do. I do at the end of the day because duty is what makes us, separates us from animals. But do you ever feel that? Do you ever think, like, you, you ever look at the deficit and you go, what's the point? I think what's the point most mornings, especially yeah, when yeah. we record. And, you know, you, you're, you, you've, most of your life you've lived in times of horrible deficits and all the, uh, everything going on with you, it's probably not your fault. Uh, I, it's definitely not my fault. It's absolutely not my fault. I, would guess this is kind of the fault of Reaganomics and everything that followed. Well, both sides do it, but uh, I uh, I think we need to be brave, and I think Chicago needs to be brave. And uh, yeah, uh, Hillary Clinton also thinks that we need to be brave uh, with this dire warning about a new battlefield. There's no doubt now that Russia has used cyber attacks against all kinds of organizations in our country, and I am deeply concerned about this. I know. Donald's uh, very praise, praiseworthy of uh, Vladimir Putin, but Putin is playing a really tough, long game here. And one of the things he's done is to let loose uh, cyber attackers, to hack into government uh, files, to hack into personal files, hack into the Democratic National Committee. Well, I, Hillary has done her homework, and uh, she addressed an issue close to a lot of our hearts, and... You know, most Americans live in fear of being hacked. They're terrified of it. Oh, yeah. It's a horrible thing to happen. Uh, I, I've i been hacked several times. Uh, you know, I often get hacked and the person who gets into my account will tweet and email rude things at uh, Senator, former Senator Olympia Snow and Soledad O'Brien, among others under my name to ruin my reputation like what kind of thing you know like you up or uh step on me they're those things that you tweeted for in the morning that not me not me someone got into my account and it happens to a lot of people 
Who else does that happen to? Uh, you know, it happens. Do you think that's tangentially related to Trump's relationship with Vladimir Putin and Russian hackers? I wouldn't put it past the Russian government's involvement in trying to ruin my reputation. Why would they want to ruin your reputation? You might tell the truth about them. The truth. They've been known to assassinate journalists, and they're trying to assassinate my character. That seems like two different things to compare yourself with a journalist who was assassinated by Russian security. That's forces. right. I did survive. You are a survivor. Yeah. Carl, do you, I don't know, do you ever learn anything from, from doing these shows? I learn a lot. I learn about my, my own resolve. Uh, I learn a lot. You know, the best way to learn is through teaching. Do you learn so, anything from the guests? The uh, people who are, you know, um, experienced and intelligent and they come in here and they have like in, interesting things to say, uh, observations and points to make. Do you learn anything from, from that experience at all? Uh, you know, uh, I do sometimes, you know, like with uh, John Lovett, I learned a lot about the craft of screenwriting uh, from other guests, such as Dave Anthony. Uh, I learned about the depths of human depravity. Okay, well, I'm, I'm specifically thinking about uh, when Glenn Greenwald came on and, uh, you know, Glenn Greenwald uh, said, you know, it's never been, there's ne there's never been a shred of evidence that uh, Russia has been behind these attacks except for anonymous intelligence reports. And uh, we should have learned a lesson from the Iraq war that uh, anonymous intelligent reports, even in the Washington Post and the New York Times, are not that reliable, that we should uh, demand hard, conclusive evidence before coming to the conclusion that if Vladimir Putin has commanded a hack of the DNC. I don't recall this at all. Okay. Well, I mean, so it, it just... Like, are you sure it happened? Yeah, pretty sure. I mean, these are... You're not trying to gaslight me or anything? These are, I mean, these are all kind of a blur, these things. Well, so, uh, you know, you know, uh, just leave it. Okay, well, here's Donald Trump responding to the same question about cyber war. So we have to get very, very tough on cyber and cyber warfare. Uh, it is a it is a huge problem. I have a son. He's 10 years old. He has computers. He is so good with these computers. It's unbelievable. Mm, well, I will not say that Trump won the debate. This was the highest single moment of the debate. Uh, him? What? Why? It was the most humanity he showed. Talking about who among us does not have a precocious boy who can just find all types of things online? You just want to. You want to shield his eyes from all the evil stuff out there. Evil. One day they're on Minecraft. The next day they're on X Hamster. The day after that, they're uh, they're uh, with the Pepe Frog guys. And uh, we can talk about cybersecurity of our federal servers all we want, but the real cybersecurity we have to worry about is with our children. Wow, did you cry a little? Uh, father's tears. Well, father's tears are hotter and prouder. Well, that's the gist of the debate, so winners and losers, Carl. Winners are fathers. Losers? Also fathers. Nothing about the candidates. Okay, that's your that's your show. Okay, uh, moving on, uh, we have a live recorded interview of writer, commentator, social critic Sam Chris. I, I have no recollection of this. Yeah. No, this, um, this weekend, we interviewed sam chris uh live at the genius uh, headquarters in brooklyn i didn't no you were there no yeah did no you? i no, was here, i me... was not there no no let me show you let me show you a picture of it that, that's you right there that's clearly not me that's no that's you that's that's not me i don't have black hair 
yeah, you know, we did this thing with the the, the Chapo Trap House. And oh, really? Okay, I see what this is. What? You colluded with one of my enemies. What? What? What enemies? Felix. Felix, you're our coworker. My tormentor. You're the yeah the guy you see all the time in the office. You, it's right over there. That oaf. Yeah, I mean. I, Wakes up every day so he can harass women and me. Um, I don't really think he harassed. You me. colluded, you little quizzling. You colluded with him to make me look foolish. Oh, okay. With Sam, Chris, and the those awful boys who live in that house together in Park Slope. Chapo boys. Okay, I admit, um, this wasn't really you doing the interview. It was um, Felix uh, dressed as you. I think he looks a lot like you, personally. Oh, so now it all comes out. Uh, now it all comes out. You colluded, and you got you somehow got a multi-million-dollar tech company to to underwrite your little scheme to make me look foolish. I don't think it makes you look foolish. I mean, it's uh, you know, we we talked to Sam Chris. Uh, he was a brilliant writer, and uh, he uh, you know, came came in from the UK. Has some uh, great observations about the Labour leadership election, which Jeremy Corbyn just won. Oh yeah, I bet you guys were all really excited about that. You want to live in Corbyn's world where you can you can get your worst friends to impersonate me and collude to make me look foolish in front of hundreds of people. Yeah, hundred, hundreds, yeah. yeah. Also, you know, it was like also posted online. There was a stream and all this. So, you know, probably more than that. But I don't think you look foolish, though. Hey, listen, just, just, just listen to it. I think there's some very good points that uh, Sam made about um, you. Well, you. Felix Qua you. Just listen. Just listen. Fine. So as some of you may know, I uh, work uh, as a contract employee for a company called Cafe. And uh, thank you, yes. Yes, for, for Cafe. And, uh, you, you know, I, uh, this was a, a political gig. It's a website like News uh, Roasted for Millennials. And I, uh, I was somewhat press-ganged into collaborating on a podcast with their chief political analyst. Uh, I don't think he needs that much of an introduction. He is a 30-year veteran of insider politics, both inside the Beltway and out. Um, everyone, Carl Diggler. my father's at. How is the deficit, everybody? Well, uh, well, Carl, you, uh, you got your live show. I um, hope it's all these people. hope you all you wanted. I'd sort of like the uh, Capital Steps meets Woodstock. I, I don't really know what either of those things are, but all right. So, who do we have today? All right, so we, uh, we have a live guest, a surprise guest, I suppose. He is a Let's see, he's a writer, commentator, analyst about British politics. And I believe he also works for the Israeli intelligence agency, was on there. My father knows them. All right. Uh, everyone, please welcome Sam Chris. Uh, well, Carl, it's uh, great to talk to you outside of the lawsuit that you currently have against me. 
uh, part of legal strategy is meeting people outside the court to vibe them out, and that's kind of what we're doing right now. I didn't realize you could file a lawsuit in The Hague. <laughs> Uh, there is there is a Hague family court. <laughs> I just want to let you know that my lawyers are in the audience and they're watching everything you do. Oh, well, maybe they might learn something. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. Oh, well, Sam, you wanted to uh, talk about uh, what just happened in the UK, the Labour leadership election where Jeremy Corbyn just won Millions another term. Millions of women harassed. <laughs> the people have spoken... The people have spoken, and Jeremy Corbyn, by 62%, is Dumbledore. <laughs> I don't think Dumbledore harassed any women. Uh, but he did harass Jews, and in that way, he's very much like Jeremy Corbyn. Do they have those in England? Or? Uh, not anymore. <laughs> ah, I guess he is a reformer. No. Now, could you tell us a little about the, the, the leadership challenge and the person that Corbyn just dispatched, uh, Owen Smith? Yeah, Owen Smith is a uh, figure from the right wing of the British Labour Party. He's not so much a socialist as a pay pig, really. Um, Nothing? Uh, some of the smartest people alive are uh, thin subs. <laughs> Uh, his main reason for wanting to be leader of the Labour Party was so that uh, our Lady Prime Minister, Theresa May, could call him a worthless worm at uh, PMQs. That's, uh, I mean, nothing wrong with that when just a strong female uh, leader uh, just she takes off her shoes oh. and she walks all oh. over you and you're oh. a little pig. But he's an alpha male. Uh, Owen Smith he, is an alpha male. He's o always o Owen talking Smith, about doing the deed. Owen Smith is an alpha male. He made his uh, general message for his entire campaign the fact that uh, I've got a cock me. Uh, he, uh, I, I think uh, the defining line of his campaign was the fact that he has the capacity to win because uh, before he pulled his wife, he had to beat off 1,200 men and three women, which I think is also the audience profile here tonight. <laughs> So he's, his wife is like 0.01% bisexual? His, uh, his wife is very slightly bisexual, and that's why he's a leader for the 21st century. Oh, well. Ah, yeah, no, uh, bisexuality is sort of like the new sexuality because uh, it's nonpartisan. Mm. <laughs> why is it always about the sexual psychosis? It's not. I mean, I don't ever bring that up. I, uh, you know, I have my personal life, my struggles with the state, uh, the way that they persecute a holocaust against fathers, uh, it, it, and no. then I have my analysis. Yeah, I've been meaning to talk to you about this, Carl, because um, I'm here to talk about British politics, but I think I'm also here to talk about you. Oh. Um, you know that you're a very sick man, right? <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm one of the more regular people you'll ever meet. Okay, well, I mean, I think I have a scientific test and might be able to determine this. Uh, the audience may or may not know that uh, I've also read both the front and back cover of a book about Lacan, and uh, <laughs> I once uh, punched Slavoj Zizek in the face. Um, uh, and uh, I put together a, uh, a little test for you, Carl, that uh, I think might uh, help you discover a few more things about yourself. Uh, it's going to be a series of what appear to be abstract ink block kind of slides. And I just want you to look up at the screen here and just tell me what you see in each image. If I could have the first slide, please. Slavery. <laughs> so how do you see slavery in this picture? Yeah, I, I mostly see dots. It's just dots, like black and white dots. Yeah. 
what it what it, 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 Bernie Sanders, the first thing you think about uh, is slavery, then misogyny, and uh, gender oppression. You you, you think uh, a Jew is hiding in these dots? I just we just see dots. It's Bernie Sanders. If I could get the next slide. Tyranny. <laughs> that ink blot is tyranny. A female judge represents tyranny, not because women are any less capable, but because uh, if you read uh, the History of Family Court, published in 1983, <laughs> uh, third-wave feminists were fast-tracked through family court systems to oppress men. The History of Family Court, published in 1983. That was by the guy who did the Turner Diaries, right? Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, you know, every author has a bibliography, but... If I could get the next slide up. That's my son. <laughs> Colby. Your, uh, your beautiful round son. My beautiful boy. He is as round as the day is long. See, that's not normal. I mean, Carl, usually the object of psychoanalysis is to uh, allow the patient to work out for themselves uh, what's really going on in their heads, but uh, seeing as you've never been able to work anything out in your entire life, I think I'd uh, just explain to you what's wrong with you, and uh, then we can see where we go from there. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, uh, Carl, you're a big believer in uh, the ability of words and language to kind of bring people together and uh, transcend political divides, right? Uh, I consider myself more like a Michelangelo-type figure, except the Sistine Chapel is the budget deficit. <laughs> well, I mean, obviously, in uh, Lacanian psychoanalysis, the uh, signifier is always a uh, replacement for an absent phallus. Uh, and I think this makes sense with you, Carl, because you are the most castrated man that has ever existed. No, I'm not. No, no, that's wrong. Most, uh, like most journalists, uh, like my friends Michael Barbaro, Michael Smirkonish, Ron Fournier, uh, fellow alpha males. I had a very normal family life growing up. I have never seen my mother. My father, my father spent most of my childhood on business assignments in Chile and Cambodia, as most children do. Uh, but no, I just I, uh, I had a real Americana type upbringing. Uh, but I'm also very interested in the upbringing you're uh, you're giving your son. Your uh son that uh, exists, your, uh, your, your round son who uh, is out there in the world to prove that you've had sex at least once. Um, there are other forms of proof. <laughs> so, what, so what does the son represent? Well, uh, my personal theory is that uh, as a symbol of uh, Carl's sexual potency, uh, the son obviously represents the penis that he has lost. Now, ordinarily, uh, a round son would be more testicular in shape, yeah, yeah. but uh, for a man as physically and psychically deformed as Carl, uh, it uh, resolves itself into the shape you see above you right now. Wow. I, uh, well, I do not appreciate your ad hominem. But, <laughs> but I do kind of see something to your theory, you know? Okay, so I go into family court as the phallic symbol. Uh, Judge Tao puts me in a smaller guillotine-type device, and it's sort of like a circumcision gone wrong, and then I am... Alimony, child support, ankle monitors, they castrate me. But my phallic power lives on as my boy. This, okay, there's something to this. This doesn't make you go insane hearing this. Imagine um, if Lacan heard this. 
I think Lacan did hear this, which is how he ended up like he did. Do you want to see the next slide? Go on. Oh, no. Did you, did you get into these slides? Beauty. Eroticism, togetherness, matrimony. Well, Carl, it's been uh, utterly horrifying talking to you. Oh, wait, you do have, I think you have another slide. Oh, you have two more slides, one more after this. Ah, uh, yeah, that's uh, partisanship. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the next one? Muscles. <laughs> Power. Honor. The third way. <laughs> it kind of does look like a muscle if you squint. His entire body is like one big muscle. And, uh, I like this last slide. If you could just keep it up, and uh, if I could get a copy of it. Uh, well, I know he has one of you above his bed. All right. So that's that's about it, I suppose. I'm sorry we didn't get to really discuss British politics, and it all became about Carl's, oh, yeah, what, you know, the, what, round the, penis. The page three girl. Are they? Can uh, you like call them? <laughs> Uh, the page three girls are now occupying number 10 Downing Street. Uh, they all live in the pantry. Ah, now that is a leadership coup I can support. <laughs> are, you, are you feeling okay? Because you had like a, a, you gave said 15 minutes before you had to take cat ear medicine. I suffer from a few conditions. One of them is uh, Habsburg ear bleeding syndrome. Uh, <laughs> I... Uh, you know, this is about as much time as I can give you to the lunar cycle. It's a very normal thing to suffer from, but uh, I will be returning to my healing cocoon, and uh, it was very nice to meet a man from another country tonight. Carl, Carl Diggler, everyone. Thank you. nothing like me he sounds like a like a deranged sex maniac who subsists purely on alcohol uh goes to the worst possible conclusions humiliates himself publicly and can barely hide his own sexual and otherwise pathologies did you um i don't know did you learn anything from sam's analysis no okay that's right we don't really learn things here um you i sure don't well, that's uh, that's it for the pro. If you did, you'd have a kid on your way. But eh. okay, well, that's uh, good, good, good. That's it for the program. Uh, we'd like to ask you to go on iTunes and subscribe and rate the podcast and get Chapo Trap House off of iTunes. for pointing out that they are whores for the Otis Elevator Corporation and biased in favor of steam engines when diesel engines are so obviously and categorically superior. Furthermore, Will Banneker is a known cheater in the Train Table Simulator 2014 community. He and Adam Pepsi have conspired with the TTS-14 game back
past moderators to ruin my reputation. I demand you deliver a public apology to me and to the diesel engines on my superior podcast, Chocolate Milk, which we can record in my basement in Essex County, New Jersey.